0: This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally.
1: Totally Football Show. Today, internationals and more. England, Keegan in the can, anniversary klaxon, plus why aren't the three Lions world champions yet? Forrest fired, Sabri Lamushi getting the bootin replaced by Chris Hooten. Transfer thoughts and whether Theo Walcott's Saints is like moving back in with your folks when your relationship ends, plus all the Nations League and European Championship playoff news you can shake a vaguely interested stick at. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, hello to you on this Thursday, the 8th of October. Excited to say that we've got a Daniel Story, James Horncastle and Dion Fanning joint for you today. Hello, everybody. Morning, James. Morning. And James. An afternoon listener, because, you know, it'll take a while for Charlie to get this into <laughs> <laughs> up to wow, code. Dig there. A dig at Charlie. No, no, no. A dig at us, if anything. Uh, listeners, <laughs> of course, this is recorded live without hitches. But, you know, technology requires that the whole thing's, you know, polished up a little bit. Dion, by the way, so glad you could join us again. About a year on, is that right? Was it a year ago you joined us?
2: Time flies so fast when you're in lockdown. Doesn't it? Um, yeah, it must be a year ago. Yeah, it must have been, uh, um, I can't remember what exactly, but there was some Ireland news I think we needed to respond to.
1: Funnily enough, there'll be Ireland news today. There's, there's loads to... Talk about big European fixtures, some exciting England content, of course. Uh, also, we'll probably touch again. I know there's been one one question in about the whole notion of sending players from different teams and different leagues to different countries and getting them to all mixed together and see what could possibly emerge from that, um, the wisdom thereof. But uh, Daniel, let's begin, though. Uh, with a quick reaction from you to Tuesday's news bombshell at the City Ground, with Sabri Lamouchi sacked by Forrest and replaced now by Chris Hooten.
3: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean the sacking was was inevitable given the run. Uh, I was an advocate of him leaving in the summer, which might have seemed slightly harsh, but I think the the shortened nature of pre-season decreed that the the likely hangover from that. Collapse last season was probably going to continue into this season and instead we we've let him sign 12 or 13 new players and then done it four games into the season um i mean chris Hewton is a is an excellent manager his last four finishes in the championship are first second third and fourth and uh he feels like uh, a very sensible approach from a club that isn't you know isn't particularly attracted to making sensible decisions normally but his strengths come or have come with a, a pretty small squad and a club right. where everything's pointing in the right direction and that's pretty much the opposite of what Forrest are now. I, I hope that Houghton can drag us up quicker than we can drag him down, but I've said that about managers before.
1: So your squad is what, about 40 strong and assembled uh, by a collection of... How many managers have put that squad together, would you say?
3: Well, 2010 was the last year that we didn't change a manager. So that kind of gives you an indication of how many of come and gone in the interim Lamucci actually stayed for longer than most but yeah he only just completed a full season in charge so we've signed 66 players I think in since June 2017 so that gives you a kind of indication of, of where the squad's at
1: right is it the most difficult job in the football league right now Daniel uh it is outside of those
3: very obvious crisis clubs uh you know like Bolton and, and Wigan I think um, just in terms of the, the expectation versus the patience versus the um, the management of a, an incredibly large group of players, as we've said, signed by various different managers. And yeah, he has to come in now and basically build a squad out of out of other people's parts, which is not an easy thing to do.
1: Mm. Forrest after their worst start to a season for 66 years. Hewton has previously taken Newcastle up and uh, more recently Brighton. And the last Brighton manager that Forrest appointed was who?
3: Yeah, Brian Clough. Um, I, I think it would be ten, say it would be tenuous to make a link between the two on that evidence. But I'll take oh, it. Go on, Daniel. Get. Come on.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, fingers crossed for Chris Hooten, one of the nice guys, uh, and uh, with a bit of work on his plate. That was Tuesday's big news. Monday, of course, saw one or two headlines as well. As a transfer window closed, sort of, because it's still open in the football league. And am I right? Transfers to and from the football league uh, to the Premier League. Yes. Now we talked in Tuesday's show about a couple of the of the last minute deals: Thomas Partey to Arsenal, which we liked, and Edison Cavani uh, to Man United, which uh, not so much. But later on that day, there was also Theo Walcott returning to Southampton on loan from Everton. Nearly fifteen years after bright eyed and full of promise, he left St Mary's. For Arsenal, what do you make of this? Is this a bit like the the Aldi version of of Gareth Bale going back to Spurs?
4: <laughs> well, I mean, imagine if Gareth Bale had gone back to Southampton. I mean, wow. that would be some window. Um, but yeah, Walcott's still only thirty one. I mean, I was surprised uh, to read uh, the reporting of that story that he was still Everton's highest earning player, um, you know, even amid the kind of array of, of players that have been brought in, in in uh well particularly this window and and others. Um but you know I, I think still has something to give um certainly for, for a for a team that has Southampton's ambitions. So I don't know. I quite like these restorative uh you know sort of uh person goes home so mm. to speak stories
1: but the welcome video is it's actually quite poignant i mean there's a kind of proud and triumphant note at the end but mostly it's its quite poignant with scenes of him scoring youngest ever uh, uh, goal scorer etc and the, there's a little bit of piano in the background and as i say it just gives that slight sense of I don't know, the same kind of sadness you get from cleaning out an attic and finding an old school prize and thinking about all the all the promise you had that just evaporated over the years and there you are, now staring at old cardboard boxes. A little bit of that. You, is it just me?
2: No, I think that's it. I think with Walcott, you look back at the way you might look back on an old, you know, a performance in a school play or something mm. and think, what what if I'd kept that up? What if those uh, encouraging words... Who did you uh,
1: play, Dion?
2: Well, I never made it for my high... My, my, biggest role was the clown in othello which oh. was uh which is pretty I mean, you know I, I i hammed it up but it didn't really uh didn't really go anywhere and oh. um, and i i felt you know i'd been overlooked for the big roles and i tried to make an impact from the sidelines um <laughs> but uh it didn't it didn't really go anywhere
3: now we're retraining dion you can you can very much
2: take to the boards again. I can. I picked a bad time to pick up acting again. Um, but, uh, but it does feel like that. It's very hard to look back on, you know, and, and what happened with Walcott beyond his career. You know that, The selection for the World Cup in 2006 mm. is probably the one thing that uh, just changed the perception and expectation around Walcott. Um, and obviously that came after he moved from Southampton, but it really, it became something he had to kind of carry around and live with. Um, and it was a uh, really unfair and uh, impossible expectation, um, and kind of one of those examples of a Sven-Göran Eriksson uh, decision that really didn't make much sense.
1: Mm. James says he's got a lot to offer Southampton. Daniel, what do you think?
3: I mean, the big question is is obviously kind of how he fits in with he fits in with Southampton. It's whether he fits in with with Ralph Hasenhuettel because he plays these kind of tucked in wingers that ostensibly are, are pressers in Redmond and Stuart Armstrong. And he probably did need another one of those. Um, Weather Walcott at 31. I mean, that's never really been his game. He's always been a an out and out, go down the side of the pitch winger rather than a uh, presser and a dip in field and wait for the knockdowns from Danny Ings kind of wide player. So I don't really know how that fits. I guess he, he's, a, he's an impact sub. Hmm. And if they want to change the game, that's what he does. And, and it makes sense for him because he he's certainly higher at the pecking order at Southampton than he was at Everton after after the business they've done this summer.
1: Absolutely. Well, I, I should say I may may have come across a little bit negative there, but this is a, a, a footballer on his day. Is, I mean, as, as Lionel Messi once said, i uh, among the most dangerous you could face," and he's did still he? going to be. Yeah, he did. But well, this was a quote that yeah. I saw. This Is week. this
4: like when when Buffon said Joe Hart was one of the best goalkeepers in the world? Although Pele, Nicky Butt, all that. this stuff,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, So, um and you know, but the point I was going to make was that Theo, uh, best of luck to him because uh, uh, apparently a very nice guy, and he's, he's playing at a Premier League club. So he's still very much in the top kind of zero point zero 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 one percent of footballers. So uh, uh, not to suggest that he's you know things aren't going well for him. So anyway, I'll move on then because internationals, we're going to talk about them next.
0: You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. <laughs>
1: All right then, it's a packed season for clubs and you can't see the wisdom of adding in another set of international fixtures. How about two sets of international fixtures? That work better for you? So it is. For alongside the Nations League games this week, we've got the start of the European Championship qualifiers. 16 teams involved among them Ireland, Northern Ireland and Scotland, are all facing one-off matches. So Scotland will be taking on Israel. Ireland with Slovakia and Northern Ireland against Bosnia-Herzegovina win those games and then they'll have another one-off match in November, the winner of which gets one of the four playoff places at next summer's Euro 2020. Intriguingly, Dion, if Ireland and Northern Ireland win their games, they'll be facing each other in that second do-or-die match. Wow.
2: Yeah, it's um, well, it, it's it's quite a prize in some ways. Although obviously qualification itself is the is the goal, and you know this the, the these these European Championships were especially um, important for Ireland when it looked like, and while it still officially looks like they will, you know, a number of the games will be played in Ireland uh, initially at Euro twenty twenty, um, and now at Euro twenty twenty one. But I think. The longer it goes on, the less likely a European Championship, set in you know a multi-city European Championship, does look unlikely, um, even in the summer of next year. But still, qualifying for it is hugely important for, for both countries. Um, but it's, it's seems very, it's very significant for Ireland's new manager Stephen Kenny as well because he he is taking over. He was supposed to take over after the European Championships. There was a lot of debate. You know, there was a. It was one of the last big decisions of the now disgraced former CEO of, of the FAI, John Delaney, to appoint Mick McCarthy, um, and then appoint Stephen Kenny to succeed him after the Euros. Um, and in typical Ireland, a bit like English international team, we seem to they swing from you know there's massive mood swings. So when this appointment was made, one of the initial objections to this. Uh, succession plan was, what if Ireland win the European Championships under Mick McCarthy? Um, And uh, uh, this was the the, the great fear that Ireland would win the European Championships and then have to hand over to a non European Championship winning manager. Uh, It quickly became apparent that that was not uh, something we really needed to fear. Um, And uh, then because Ireland, you know, stumbled into the playoffs, With a series of of pretty, pretty disappointing performances. And and then obviously because of the pandemic, it was decided to uh, allow Kenny to come in and Mick McCarthy stepped away. So he's now in very early on in his reign after two Nations League games, he is now facing a hugely important playoff.
4: Did you get to listen to the the house track with Mick McCarthy vocals recently? <laughs> yeah. That is, that is so good. I've not heard that.
1: Uh, Let's hear it now. So it's
4: not about one individual, it's about the whole team.
3: It, it, it's
1: got to be... That's extraordinary, uh, Dion. Is that a big hit in Ireland?
2: Um, it came too late, unfortunately, to save Mick McCarthy's uh, <laughs> Ireland career. Um, right. Perhaps if if it had been released um, six months ago, <laughs> it might have uh, pre—you know—might have might have tilted things. You know, the European Championships weren't going to be won, or were unlikely to be won. But he had, uh, you know, a good house track, and you know, he does lend himself to various memes and, uh, and, you know, there is the, 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 uh, the Careless Whisper meme as well. That, you know, that? McCarthy has a healthy, uh, healthy catalogue of, of viral internet hits. It's just unfortunate that the actual football he produces tends to be more <laughs> underwhelming.
1: Right, the footballing record. That Careless Whisper sounds intriguing, but I, I fear there's not time to, to go down that rabbit hole just now. Uh, perhaps afterwards. Uh, I a mean, really, North... in a
4: Nations League break,
1: if mm. there isn't time now, it's well, never going to be time. <laughs> there's major talking points today, James, and, and, and listener. Uh, I know there's a, a new book out about the whole John Delaney era with Ireland. Champagne Football, is it, Dion?
2: That's it, yeah. Um, it's by the two journalists who... Um, it's an extraordinary story. There was a number of uh, uh, episodes involving john delaney during his time as ceo but he always managed to sort of survive and he had a he had a he was a, a, an astute politician he worked he worked the kind of media at a certain level he worked politicians you know he had a lot of network and a lot of connections uh and he had the full backing of the fai board critically but last year uh the sunday times and a journalist called mark ty reported that There had been a 100,000 euro loan from John Delaney to the FAI, and then repaid by the FAI to John Delaney, which was used to cover some uh, you know financial gaps in their in their accounts and needed to keep the keep the show on the road. Uh, And from that story, which John Delaney attempted to get a high court injunction to prevent appearing, and he and he lost that injunction on a Saturday night, and the paper and the story appeared the following Sunday. A house of cards tumbled down and. It, clear, it came out that despite this massive salary, John Delaney was on 360,000 euro a year at the end of his time as manager. He, the FAI were paying his rent. Uh, he had personal expenditure on the credit cards of, uh, well, probably about 700,000 euro over a number of years. Uh, there is an unexplained payment to an ex-girlfriend of, of John Delaney's uh, from an FAI account. Various things like this that all came out in this book, Champagne Football, um, and has led to a kind of a a bloodletting and a kind of trying to rebuild the FAI. The FAI have got government money to rebuild. Their finances are in a huge state, even pre-COVID. And it has led to this, you know, Stephen Kenny... Stephen Kenny's appointment, as I said, it was one of the last acts of John Delaney's time, but he was always seen, he would have been seen as somebody, because he comes from the League of Ireland, he would have been seen as somebody slightly who was outside the John Delaney sphere of influence. Delaney seemed usually favoured managers from the UK who may not be as aware of how he managed things in Ireland, Um, but... It has led to, you know, it's it's a best-selling book in Ireland. It's an extraordinary story. They have, you know, from that story that came out, more people came forward and gave them more information. And it just led to this situation where Delaney ended up uh, leaving the, the FAI and now the FAI is trying to rebuild. And yet even that is something that is um, is going to be more difficult because there are always issues with Irish football. The FAI pre-John Delaney or maybe... At one point were described by Irish journalist Declan Lynch as the FAI is the dysfunctional organisation that other dysfunctional organisations called the Galacticas. And, uh, um, and they've never really managed to, to, to rid themselves of that. But uh, this is a kind of a new era with Stephen Kenny, who is a different type of manager. He's promising to play a different type of football as well. And he's tried to do that in his first couple of matches. And that's going to be an interesting... Aspect of what happens uh, over the next year or two, because he is planning to kind of change how Ireland approaches games. Like he's even saying about this game, we're not trying to nick it with a set piece. We're not trying to do these things that you know Ireland only ever scored through set pieces. So to actually eliminate that from your game plan is quite a drastic move. But it's part of his approach, which was evidenced at Dundalk, where he he had a side that played a lot of football and. Uh, it's going to be something that's going to be an interesting aspect of his time as manager.
4: Mm. How will he get on? Will he ever have a deep house track inspired by his press conferences? Exactly.
1: (laughs) Magnus, well, Slovakia is where it begins. Possibly it'll then see Northern Ireland uh, on the the road to Euro 2020. Northern Ireland are also under new management, Ian Baraclough, who's taken over from the under-21s after Michael O'Neill went to Stoke. So far, he's had a 1-1 draw in Romania and then a 5-1 defeat at home to Norway, powered by Erling Haaland. Uh, Norway, who may be the adversary for Scotland if they get past Israel at Hamden Park. Big blow for the Scots ahead of this game is the fact that Stuart Armstrong, Kieran Tierney and Ryan Christie will all be out after Armstrong tested positive for COVID-19. Tierney and Christie are now self-isolating. It does bring us back to this topic which we 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 discussed rather on, on Tuesday about the extraordinary notion of just leaving aside the issue of clubs already facing a very, very uh, overstretched calendar but also in the middle of a pandemic taking players from different clubs and different leagues and making them fly to other countries and then mixing them all together and seeing what emerges. Chris Williams says, what is the point of these Nation League games in the era of COVID?
4: Well, forgive me if you already discussed this uh, earlier in the week but Andriy Shevchenko at Ukraine had quite the unprecedented situation uh, ahead of the friendly that he had against France, which ended in a 7-1 defeat. One of the reasons for that was because all three of his goalkeepers, Pyatov, Luniv and Pankiv, all tested positive for COVID-19 to the extent that he had to then call up his 45-year-old goalkeeping coach, mm. Alexander Shokovsky, to be on the bench um, for that game. So, uh, Clearly, that's going to have repercussions for their for their upcoming uh, qualifiers um, during this this break. It's far from ideal, and it completely just distorts the integrity of the competition when you are unable to basically field um, your well, not even your first choice goalkeeper, but your second and third choice as well. So, right. uh, yeah, uh, bonkers times we live in.
1: They're facing uh, Spain and, and and Germany, so Ukraine. <laughs> so, yeah, good luck. Dion.
2: No, I, I I think it's uh, it seems to be one of those slightly headless decisions um, to get games played at a time when it is you know the consequences of this could be kind of far-reaching and lasts a long time because as you say players traveling all across Europe then returning to clubs how the infection travels from there as we know it's so transmissible that it could there could be long-term consequences for this and I think it would have been far better to, to limit the matches to games that you really felt uh, had to be played, that were necessary to be played. And the European Championship playoffs clearly need to be played. Do the, do the Nations League games need to be played? I'm not so sure. Mm. Um, and Ireland are benefiting from this at the moment too, because Slovakia have lost a couple of players uh, because of positive COVID tests as well.
1: Mm. Scotland haven't been to a senior tournament since 1998 They are two matches away from making the Euros Uh, They have faced Israel multiple times uh, in recent years They keep getting drawn together in the Nations League They also met a month ago They had a 1-1 draw at Hampden Park Uh, Still a a worrying prospect A. Daniel
3: yeah, I mean, that game against Israel in September, they, they started a back three of of Kieran Tierney, Scott McKenna, who has since moved from Aberdeen to, to Forest, and Scott McTominay. And Scott McKenna is injured, Kieran Tierney is out with COVID, and Scott McTominay is a central midfielder. So they've got huge problems finding enough defenders. Um, Scotland's problem has always been scoring goals, really, but... They've got massive issues at both ends of the pitch and this is seen as a huge game because there will be no shame if they lose to to Norway or Serbia and they're expected to do so, but it will be seen as a massive opportunity missed if they were to to fall behind Israel because they actually were pretty good in qualifying Scotland. They finished third in a group that you would expect them to finish third in and yeah, Israel were were not great in their qualifying. I think Israel have only beaten Latvia in the last 18 months. They've beaten them twice, but it's the only country they've beaten. So Yeah, big pressure on on Scotland.
1: Well, England, uh, so far, uh, the only players out of their squad are Tammy Abraham, Jadon Sancho and Ben Chilwell. That's because they didn't respect protocols. We'll be touching on England and why they aren't world champions yet and also a very special anniversary next.
2: We know everyone thinks this season is going to be different, but at Paddy Power, we're staying positive because isn't the new normal just the same old football? Avoid unnecessary journeys? That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some strikers do that very effectively already. You see? New normal, same old football. And that's why if one leg of your four-plus-fold Acca lets you down, you get your money back as a free bet on all football matches and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1-5 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive, exclude shop, best T's and c's apply, 18plusbgambleraware.org.
0: Listeners, we want to tell you about Scoot, the new lift-sharing app for friends who love football. Scoot connects teammates who drive with teammates looking for a lift. So whether that's a trip to training, a -a five-a-side kickabout in the park or a visit to the pub to watch Super Sunday, Scoot auto-calculates the cost, splits the fares and collects the money via the app so there's no haggling or chasing cash. Scoot is also 80% cheaper than ride hailing or taxis and, especially these days, isn't it nicer to share a car with no more than five of your mates than get on a bus with strangers? Download Scoot today on Android or iPhone and get £15 worth of free rides and drives as soon as you install it. Even better if you send an email to help at scootride.com saying The Athletic sent you, you'll get an additional £5 after your first drive or ride. Go on, get your boots out of the boot with Scoot, the Totally Football shows and The Athletic. That's Scoot, S-K-O-O-T, the new lift-sharing app for friends who love football. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
1: England-Wales is Thursday evening. It's a friendly, ahead of Nations League fixtures against Belgium, number one ranked in the world right now, and Denmark. What do you make, Daniel, of the squad? Well, there, there is
3: competition for places, but that competition for places has been dented somewhat by the three players you name and the fact that, that Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden aren't involved after their um, late-night antics, shall we say, in the last international break. Um, Southgate is desperate to try and instil this um, sense of discipline in the squad. Um, which is entirely appropriate, particularly you know, particularly when it comes to to COVID nineteen regulations. Footballers are often talked as overtalked as role models, but at the moment it makes sense for them professionally and you know in terms of setting the right example not to break those conditions. And it's very easy for them not to break them, and they have broken them. Um, I mean, the Wales game is 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 effectively, I think, going to be B team against B team. But Southgate has got some questions to answer in this break because he needs to sort out whether he's going to play a back four or a back five. He needs to wean himself off this over-reliance on, on multiple defensive midfielders because I think we we enjoyed our rise through attacking football and he has some great you know young attacking players. And it's a great chance to see people like Dominic Calvert-Lewin in an England shirt and Jack Grealish and Harvey Barnes and Connor Cody and Bakayo Saka all of which might well start against Wales.
1: Mm, maybe Dean Henderson as well. Gary Southgate uh, making it pretty clear that Jordan Pickford's going to be sitting this one out. Dominic Calvert-Lewin getting his first call-up to the senior squad. Premier League top scorer, of course, currently. Uh, but he's previously been a star for England, not least at the Under-20 World Cup in South Korea, when Calvert-Lewin, one of the stars for England, scored the winner in the final against Venezuela as England became world champions, picking up their first world trophy in 51 years. Lewis Cook with the delivery, looking for Calvert-Lewin.
0: Calvert-Lewin has a chance, and another one, and he's taken the second one, and England have taken the lead. Everton's Dominic Calvert-Lewin with a goal that maybe just puts England on the way to becoming world champions at this level.
1: Extraordinary times, those back in 2017. That World Championship trophy went with victory at the under-20 Toulon tournament, victory uh, at the under-17 World Cup as well, victory at the under-19 Euros, all in this same year, uh, reaching the last four in the under-21 Euros, beaten by Germany there on penalties, respecting the brand, and runners-up as well. Uh, the under seventeen euros. So I mean, we were basically in twenty seventeen. We were like Spain or something at the time. It felt like only a matter of weeks or possibly months until the senior side would, by process of osmosis, go and dominate world football. Uh, is that still on? Uh, when's it going to happen?
3: Well, I mean, the the twenty seventeen was was viewed as this huge success because it was it was seen as the first proof of this new generation of. Of English coaching, in whereby players would be brought through on, um, or would be taught technical skills more than anything else, which was seen as a, a a shift from previous generations, and also in the you know the training of our coaches, which other European countries did and probably still do far better than England. Um, the reality is that there are two problems. One was how you create that talent which we've moved to solve I think and the other is how you create pathways for that young talent to to get into first teams because evidence says that the years between 18 and 21 are when a player getting regular competitive football matters a huge amount and you know without straying off topic too much we've seen the, the B team argument rear it's in my opinion ugly head in the last few days again but there is a problem with with these biggest clubs stockpiling young players that, that that don't get the competitive football they
1: need. Only four of that 2017 World Championship winning side have actually received caps with the senior team. They've made one appearance each: uh, Tamori, Lewis Cook, uh, Maitland-Niles, and Dominic Solanke. But you know, whether because issues of space or just not quite living up to expectations, nobody really is quite quite matched. Those early expectations, is, is that fair? Calvert-Lewin, I guess, would be the exception. And maybe Tomori?
3: Yeah, the the under-20s is a, is a slightly um, without... You know, putting down their achievements in 2017. It's a slightly odd age group in that we clearly have under-19s and 21s at that level and the 21s is the flagship underage group and there are players at under-20 level who even at that time are knocking on the door of the national team. That wasn't really the case with the under-20 squad because we had the different tournaments that summer. Um, but yeah i mean, I, I actually think if if lewin plays and we have five progressing from from under twenty to senior level in that period of time, that's a pretty good return. um I mean, I know the players we've listed and you know none of them are, are established in that England squad, um but that's a pretty good return. and yeah, the next step is 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 making that pathway the natural step rather than the exception which it has been in in recent years
1: and mm. of course we've we've got the the ones from the under-17 world champions from that same year who were also knocking on the door the likes of Jaden Sancho and Phil Foden. Uh, what a what a vintage set of players that is.
3: Yeah, and very quickly, that under-17 age group was seen as the flagship England age group. That's the one they were most excited about at the time.
1: OK. Are you excited about these two Nations League fixtures and, of course, the game with Wales, Daniel? Uh,
3: I I would be excited about them if they didn't have all the caveats that we've discussed about COVID and about the over-fatigue of players. Um, I will watch them, but it's difficult to believe that even the players are taking it 100% seriously, so it's very hard for fans to do
1: that. I see. Well, it all begins tonight at Wembley. Perhaps the biggest talking point about that fixture against Wales is the fact that it'll be 20 years on, almost to the day, from one of the three Lions' most famous nights at Wembley. The occasion... The final England game played at that stadium the night that their manager Kevin Keegan resigned in the toilet after a 1-0 defeat to Germany.
4: How can you just walk away from me when all I can do is what you
1: need? A little bit of Mariah Carey and Westlife, which was the, the nation's number one that fateful day and so chillingly appropriate, it's almost like they knew. Kevin having reached his decision in a toilet cubicle, emerging then flushed to brief the press Uh, he said he'd had a longer run than expected but he didn't reveal if he was taking his number two with him (laughs) memories
3: yeah I, i feel for for keegan a bit i mean he wasn't good enough to be england manager there were a dearth of other options he wasn't tactically deep enough he allowed pressure to get to him, as we saw famously a few years before with, with Ferguson. But I feel a bit for him because he's become this kind of tragic comic character in English football. You know, he was a Ballon d'Or winner. He was a, an excellent manager at Newcastle. He finished second in the Premier League, which very few England managers have done. I think, is it maybe Ron Atkinson's maybe the only other one? Um, so I feel a bit for him, but he did have this tendency to, when he had these meltdowns, he tended to do it very near or on. Television cameras.
1: I think the fans today, when we're coming off, you know, they they sort of made me realize that not only did they put me in the job, but with what they were saying when I was coming off, I think they feel it's time for me to go. And, and, and that, that's where the power should be.
3: That was his downfall. And he never really recovered from that, we should say.
1: Yeah. I mean, did England? Bex apparently was in tears, according to David Davis's book later on. Tony Adams was begging Kevin to, to reconsider. Didi Harmon, meanwhile, in the. In the, in the Germany dressing room. When he found out it was his goal that had sealed Keegan's fate, he said he regretted it because he was such a massive fan of Keegan's Hamburg growing up.
4: A shame. And also anyone who's read uh, Raphael Honigstein's book Das Reboot will know that this Germany side was not a good Germany side. This right. was essentially when they decided that they had to push the button and completely kind of rethink what they were doing because they could only beat England 1-0 at Wembley in the final game with a, what, long-distance goal from uh, Diddy Harmon. So, yeah, again, that doesn't cast that period in a particularly good light either.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it was it a was great period as well. It probably started that uh, real um, swing from one type of manager to another as well. Keegan was the great antidote to Glenn Hoddle, of course, like because that was uh, – you know huddle you know ultimately, and I suppose you know uniquely for an international manager was ultimately sacked for his views on the transmigration of souls but uh, but before that, you know he he was said to lack something in sort of you know relating to players and famously, you know said to Beckham, maybe you're not skillful enough to do that particular skill, that kind of thing. and Keegan then came in as the as the opposite to that, as the manager who would who would give players great belief. But as, as Daniel says, like there was that flaw in that belief that it was so much governed by emotion that there was always a downside to it with Keegan.
1: Mm. Well, 20 years on, neither that toilet cubicle nor the stadium itself is there anymore, but there's a new Wembley and a new England as well. And emotions will be running high as they stroll out against Wales. Keen for more international talk? Well, there have been some cracking matches played last night on the continent and we'll be talking about those and picking out one or two of the others to keep an eye out for in the days to come uh, very shortly uh, first of all though let's hear what lee price is up to with paddy power
5: seasons greetings listeners happy international break and inspired by england i'm having a bit of a surprise party i know lovely uh, it was organized by me and attended by just me uh, you could say it's my first totally football show live show but i haven't been invited to those yet AC complies government guidelines, so that's good. Anyway, the numbers. I've gone to paddypower.com forward slash football and I've clicked popular tournaments. Seems a good place to start. Weirdly, the Nations League has come up, but that could be fortuitous for this segment because I've been ordered to read out numbers relating to the Big Five this weekend. No, that's not the USA or China, etc. But France, Italy, Spain, England and Germany. Poor old Holland. Now, they're all favourites to win this weekend except England, obviously, because they play the big one, Belgium. England are 17-10 to to win that game and get sweet revenge for the third, fourth playoff in Russia. Remember that? No? Uh, Anyway, Belgium there are slight favourites at 6-4. Elsewhere, Spain, Germany and Italy are all odds on to win their games, while France are 21-20 favourites against Portugal. All of the so-called Big Five to win this weekend is 18-1. Without England, you could be well advised, it's 6-1. Stay safe.
1: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate. At the time of recording, it's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply, and when the fund stops, stop. Ahead of the Nations League and European qualifying matches, a series of friendlies played on Wednesday, featuring Turkey holding Germany to a 3-3 draw. Uh, Mexico getting Frank de Boer's reign as Netherlands manager off to a bad start. Uh, with a one-nil victory for the Mexicans, uh, what else happened? Italy with the rule of six over Moldova, uh, Portugal, Spain uh, ending nil-nil, and a whopping result for the French against Ukraine. Yikes! Did Did you see this? Goalkeeperless Ukraine. Yeah. Goalkeeperless <laughs> Ukraine. Yeah.
3: I, d- I did see it, and it was it was notable if for nothing else really than than Olivia um drawing level with Michel Platini for international goals and. I think it was a tweet. I think it was an Arsenal blogger called Tim Stillman who who said he Giroud now feels like the perfect candidate to be the first freelance footballer in that he is signed by a club, immediately does very well and then they persuade themselves they can do better and possibly can do better. But he is so wasted at Chelsea now because he was brilliant against Ukraine. He's brilliant for France every time. He He had such a hand in them winning the World Cup. And yeah, it feels a bit of a shame, almost like with, with Milik at, at Poland, that he's probably only really going to play at international level, mainly for the next two years, which is a yeah, is a huge shame because he's got a lot to give.
4: The incredible thing about Giroud as well is that this was what his 100th cap, he's only nine goals away from being all-time top scorer for France with, with Thierry Henry, which you know, given they've just put seven past Ukraine um, he'll probably do that what by November um, so that's not going to be an issue and then Kamavinga scored on his right. debut and became what the, the youngest player to score for France in a century
1: what a goal it was as well I mean, described as a bicycle kick, but I think that's slightly reductive. But The ball, it, it's a Giroud header which comes back off a defender, and, and rather than do the whole leap, he basically just flicks it back over his shoulder into the far corner. It's magnificent for a player who's A, uh, only 17 still, and B, essentially came into the Ren first team as a defensive midfielder. He's insanely good, Kamavinga. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, that finish just shows how kind of intelligent and alert he is um, just to be able to to have the presence of mind to come up with that solution in that situation, I think was uh, kind of really indicative of why everyone's so uh, so excited to see him. And of course, we'll get to see him in the Champions League this year because uh, mm-hmm. Wren have qualified, they're in Chelsea's group. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely for a, for a 17-year-old who already feels like he's been around for a couple of years um it's uh, all the more impressive for that
1: okay next up uh your, well your next chance to see france in action will be sunday night when they'll be uh, facing portugal in a game which pits the world champions of course against the european champions and nations league holders what other games are you you guys looking out for uh, perhaps germany to see if they can win a nations league game for the first time
4: Well, that was extraordinary last night where, you know, they got in front three times and just conceded, conceded, conceded. Turkey's equaliser coming in the 93rd minute. Um, It wasn't even a a full strength uh, Turkey side either. Um, And just the mistakes that Germany kept making at the back. I think the second goal, there was reason to feel a little bit aggrieved that a foul should have been called. Um, But uh, yeah, exactly, just kind of, trying to build up play from their defence and getting caught in possession and then all of a sudden being very exposed was a problem for them, as it
1: has been in the Nations League Mm.
4: as a whole.
1: (laughs) Six matches so far, they've yet to win any of them at Germany. Italy, meanwhile, on Wednesday night, warming up for their clash with Poland on Sunday with a 6-0 victory over Moldova. This was very much a reserve Italy team, but lots of good news from it for Roberto Mancini, James.
4: Yeah, uh, I mean, 6-0 against Moldova, you kind of expect that scoreline from, uh, you know, one of the traditional heavyweights. Um, But to be honest, uh, there were times when Italy, when they'd play against a Luxembourg or an Andorra, where they'd only scored three goals rather than the six or seven that a Spain or Germany would score. And this has been happening on a regular basis under under Roberto Mancini. I think one of the, the the interesting things about this is what seventeen games unbeaten now. The last two games have been really impressive. Um, and you, you mentioned this kind of experimental scratch team that they put together, uh, incorporated some of the players who'd done really well in Amsterdam against uh, Holland uh, in the last international break, but uh, had a real Sassuolo flavour to it. Um, in that, yeah. Adi scoring, Chijo Caputo scoring, who's 33. And, you know, he's a much more elegant and technical player uh, compared with Dario Hubner. But in some respects, there are elements of the Hubner in in Caputo and that, you know, he brews his own beer, whereas Hubner liked his grappa. And basically, they've come to Serie A very, very late. Um, so to see him get his first uh, international goal uh, was good. And yeah, generally uh, going into these two games against Poland and uh, and Holland as well, still a lot of positive vibes, as they say in twenty twenty, James.
1: Brilliant. Does anybody else have any international fixtures they're looking out for that they made a made a special note to to tune in for over the over the next few days? Well,
4: tonight we've got the Qatar twenty twenty two World Cup qualifiers kicking off in South America. Yes, but there isn't, uh, I'd say, apart from was it Chile against. Uruguay, I think Uruguay and right. The others are just, you
1: know. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. Well, there's that. The Nor-
3: Norway, Serbia, the the other one in in the Scotland playoff system. James briefly mentioned it before, but Norway are they kind of feel like the new kids on the block in terms of we know they have Erling Haaland, but they've got uh, Petter Horgu who's obviously just been signed by Milan. They've got. Sander Berg, who's at Sheffield United, is sort of basically a quarter of the squad is aged 24 or under and they kind of feel like they're going places.
1: Martin Erdegaard as well?
3: Yeah, of course. Yeah, now back at, at, at Real. Um, and yeah, I mean, but it, it's a, an interesting squad. It has, you know, Ødegaard in age order next to Coventry City's defender, Leo Oestergaard. It feels like a really kind of mixed. I think there's 12 European countries represented in the squad, but it does feel young and it feels like it's going places.
0: Mm.
4: And the sawloff shotgun as well. Uh, yes. Who, you know, has really, really bounced back from his Palace days. Had a great year at Trabzon last year and is now at RB Leipzig, um, where he's kind of replaced uh, Timo Werner. Yet um, to get on the score sheet for, uh, for Leipzig. But, yeah, after, what, 20... Bloody hell. He scored a hell of a lot of goals last year. More than, what, close to 35 goals for in in, uh, in all competitions for Trabzon. So, Yeah. That that partnership with ha- uh, Haaland means Josh King, who may yet get a move at the moment, is is can't get into the uh, can't get into the first
1: team at the moment. Remarkable that clash with Serbia coming up quarter to eight on Thursday night. So maybe too late for you, listener, by the time you hear this. But uh, if they get through that, early November is when the decisive games for those European Championship places will be well decided. Uh, right. Anyway, that's it. For today's Toby Football Show. Dion, it's been lovely having you with us. Great to be here. Thanks, James. Not at all. Not at all. We look forward to welcoming you back soon if you'll join us again. James Horncastle, lovely to see you too. And Daniel Story. And uh, listener, thanks for being with us. We are here on Monday. I hope you'll be joining us too as we round up the big talking points from the weekend's action and look forward to whatever next week holds. Have yourselves a great weekend in the meanwhile. For now, from all of us here,
0: it's goodbye.